when you're that age too, just like with Forever. We're like, oh, there's a sex scene in this book. Mm-hmm. Mm, let me there's read it. There's a penis. Look. Yeah. Yeah. Although, do they ever say the word penis? And I don't even think, know that they did. Well, Wendy would know because she read the whole thing. Hello, world. There's a song that we're singing. Come on, get happy. A whole lot of love and it's what we'll be bringing. We'll make you happy. Welcome to the Pop Culture Preservation Society, the podcast for people born in the big wheel generation who swore never to name their child Ralph or eat a powdered sugar donut. We believe our childhoods gave us unforgettable songs, stories, images, and characters. And if we don't talk about them, they'll disappear like Marshall, Will, and Holly on a routine expedition. And today, we gather to discuss one of the most memorably dark and disturbing books of our childhood— Flowers in the Attic. I'm Carolyn. I'm Kristen. And I'm Michelle. And we are your pop culture preservationists. Okay, before we begin, we need you to know that this book is a head-scratcher of epic proportions, full of flowery depictions of rape and incest. It's bonkers. But we also know that for some people, this might not be funny at all. If that's the case for you, please consider taking a break from us today. And joining us again when we discuss far more innocuous subjects. The Society will always be here for you. And if this is not comfortable, we support you. And now, for a dramatic reading from Flowers in the Attic, the classic novel about a brother and sister trapped in an attic together for three long years. Long strings of clouds blew across the face of the full moon, so it would duck and hide, then peek out again. And on the roof, on a night that was made for lovers, we cried in each other's arms. He hadn't meant to do it, and I had meant never to let him. The fear of the baby that might be the result of one single kiss on mustached lips rose high in my throat and hesitated on my tongue. It was my worst fear. More than hell or God's wrath, I feared giving birth to a monstrous baby, deformed, a freak, an idiot. But how could I speak of this? Already he was suffering enough. However, his thoughts were more knowledgeable than mine. The odds are all against a baby, he said fervently. Just one time. There won't be a conception. I swear there won't be another time, no matter what. I'll castrate myself before I'll let it happen again. Then he had pulled me tightly against him, so I was crushed so hard it hurt my ribs. Don't hate me, Kathy. Please don't hate me. I didn't mean to rape you. I swear to God, there's been many a time when I've been tempted, and I was able to turn it off. I'd leave the room, go into the bathroom or into the attic. I'd bury my nose in a book until I felt normal again. Tied as I could, I wrapped my arms around him. I don't hate you, I said. For many of us, Flowers in the Attic was our very first experience with a book that was disturbing, shocking, unimaginable, scandalous, and dealt with terrifying characters and situations. And we loved it. It's a book that has burned an attic-shaped hole in the minds of every person who's ever read it, and I'm fairly certain has made us all leery of powdered sugar donuts for decades. So today, we'll explore just what it is about this book that was so appealing to us, and how we feel about it today. And we are here discussing it today with one of our favorite humor writers, Wendy Ahrens. Wendy's work has appeared in The New Yorker, McSweeney's, Us Weekly Fashion Police, and Nickelodeon. Her humor pieces have been performed by actresses including Uzo Aduba, Alison Brie, and Sharon Horgan. 
Wendy is also the author of a forthcoming middle grade novel called J.K. Just last month, Wendy tweeted about Flowers in the Attic. She said, I read Flowers in the Attic 40 years ago and still get a little worried every time I eat something covered in powdered sugar. So naturally, we invited Wendy to be our guest on the podcast today, and we're so excited that she is here. Welcome, Wendy. Welcome, Wendy. Well, thank you for having me, and I've been waiting for 40 years to talk about this book. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have book club yeah. in your library in no, your school? No, this no. This was kind of read under the covers. It wasn't like a come down to the library and talk about incest and, and donuts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have some donuts. I'll just eat. I'll just eat these donuts. And Michelle brought the donuts. I did, girl. I do not want any. I wish they could go okay. to the screen. Do you guys remember your first experience with this book? Like, did you have to hide it? Was it something your friends passed around? What What do you remember about the first time you became aware of this book? Well, I my memory of reading it is actually um, very vivid, and it's at my friend in my friend's bedroom. So my best friend lived across the street. And I, th- I think I kept it there so my mom wouldn't know I was reading it. So I can see myself sitting on the floor of my friend's bedroom. I think she was on her twin bed reading it, her copy, and I was um, down on the floor reading my copy. And we'd say, like, did you get to this part yet? Are you here? And then I think, if memory serves me, I just kept my book under her bed. And then I would just go over there to read it because somehow I knew that mm-hmm. I wasn't supposed to be reading it. And if my mom found it, I she maybe have even said, you're not reading this book. So um, that's one of my memories. My mom never knew what I was reading because uh, I read so much. And I do remember reading forever and asking her what a diaphragm was. And she said, it's your rib cage. <laughs> and then I wandered away more confused than ever. So then I'm like, that's the last question I ask her about a book I'm reading. So you're like, well, that's cool. I already have one of those safe sex covered for me. <laughs> right. So I have one automatically. So I'm good. I come I'm with good. that. Um, so for, for me, my experience with Flowers in the Attic, I for sure didn't buy it. I think this book got passed around, right? I don't know how they sold 40 million copies because one copy would get passed around to 40 different people. (laughs) I'm pretty sure it was given to me by the Stein girls who were my friends who were twins and they were far more advanced Mm -hmm. than me and they ushered me into adolescence. We Um, all had friends like that, I think. We all have to, yeah, it's very useful. That's a useful friend to have when you're in middle school. Um, And I, I, I also don't think that I was shocked or I think I was like, well, this is an adult book. I guess this is what adult books are like. So it was like a door had been opened. I'm like, okay, let's go. (laughs) I'm a woman now. So one of the fun things about, um, what we've done with this book is that we we sort of presented it as a book club to our uh, society members on Instagram. And for the past six weeks, we've been asking them questions. So we're going to share throughout this episode some of their answers. And when we asked this same question, what was your first experience with this book? Here's what a few of them said. So our friend Shane, our good friend Shane, shout out. Hello, Shane. We love you. Hi, Shane. Anyway, he said he thinks his first experience with this book was in sixth grade. He loved the blurred lines of not scary, but scary, young adult or adult. He said, I don't think the teachers knew what to think, as it surprised me that they never said anything. 
I actually did a book report on it. Unbelievable. <laughs> it is definitely it's of its crazy. era and not timeless like Judy Bloom or Laura Ingalls Wilder. What do you guys think about that? Oh, I think that's report. very smart. I, and I that's interesting. It was a, a, a male who read it because I didn't mm-hmm. know. It, it seems just like such a girl read book. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. But I would have loved to be in the room for that book report. Oh, my God. Incestus, Incestus knows no gender, Wendy. <laughs> Incestus universal. <laughs> you need two to tango. But I do think he brings up a super good point um, when he says it's definitely of its era and not timeless, like Judy Bloom or Laura Ingalls Wilder. And I think that's something we're going to discuss later in this episode. Like, uh, sort of, does it hold up? Um, mm-hmm. And is it something that we remember as just being kind of um, something that was shocking and of its time? It's a very, it had a very specific moment in pop culture history. And I, I also I, I, don't, I, I don't remember this book being controversial, right? Yeah. Yes, it was salacious and we passed it around and we were all very titillated, but it was not controversial. And there was nobody trying to take this book out of our library. And I think about how parents lost their shit over the Hunger Games. <laughs> I'm like, come on. Do you know, what were you reading when you were in seventh grade? You read the book about the boy raping his sister. And your mom did not say a word, and your mom didn't march to the principal's office and say, stop the kids from reading this book. I mean, Harry Potter, for God's sake. People get upset about Harry Potter. So yeah. what is different? Is it, um, have we become more prudish? Or did our parents just, it was the benign neglect? Of, I think it was know, benign neglect, because we also had um, uh, the movies like The Blue Lagoon and that other Brooke oh, Shields one, and Pretty Baby, all of that, and... Yeah, it was just, uh, or it just happened. They, none, nothing like that had happened. Uh, that content hadn't happened for teenagers before because their generation certainly didn't have it. So maybe they weren't on the lookout for it, or I don't know. It's well, and it question. was technically, it was an adult book. It was published as an yeah. adult book, but for yeah. whatever reason, it was co opted by the 12 year olds like immediately overnight. Mm-hmm. It did not take yeah. long. No, and that was like the version of social media back then was just passing the book around. We passed it around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yet still, even though I didn't love it and it wasn't my my kind of book, you see that cover, you hear someone say Flowers in the Attic, and you immediately say, yes, like, uh, like not I loved it, but it's such a part, an integral part of our childhood and our generation that we react to it that way. I don't know that there's anyone that goes, oh, disgusting. I hated that book. We no, have feelings no. about it. We have mm-hmm. it. we have feelings about it. And so these feelings make us shout, yes, flowers in the attic, I think. As if you loved it, when in actuality, love is mm-hmm. the wrong word. It's the yeah, wrong word I don't word know what it is. It. Yeah, right. fascination, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then what about our friend, <laughs> Zebra? Yeah, we don't know Sorry. your name, We're going to call you Zebra LJB. for short. You don't yeah, have a name on your LJB. <laughs> but um, our friend, Zebra LJB, Uh, encountered the book in junior high in the mid-80s and said if you weren't in ninth grade, you had to have parental consent to check it out. And my mom signed without even asking. What else did you get to do? There's the benign (laughs) neglect, right? I asked my mom, because this is a theme, right? Nobody's mom took this book away from them. Everybody read this book and did maybe, how many of them were like Carolyn and read it at their friend's house and how many of them just Read it at home. So I asked my mom, I said, do you remember the book Flowers in the Attic? And I showed her the cover and everything. She's like, oh, sure. Oh, yes. That was all over the house. She said, your sister read that 20 times at least. (laughs) And she was very proud of herself for knowing this and remembering this. And I said, 
do you know what it was about? And she's like, hmm, well, I think so. I think, but I don't remember. I don't remember what it was about. So I said, well, let me read you a passage. <laughs> so I read her a very important passage. And she, she sat there very silently. And when I was finished, her mouth was in a completely straight line. And she didn't make any noise. And I think she was having a moment. I think she was, like, questioning all of her parenting. Like, she's been a parent for 53 years, and I think she was like, I think I did it wrong. (laughs) Tell everybody what she said, though, that um, that's the best line that she gave after. She's like, oh, this is why I. So she, after sitting there silently, finally, this is what she comes out with. You see why I like little women? (laughs) (laughs) Oh. You. Okay, so there are so many disturbing facets to this book. Starvation, abuse, neglect, poisoning, captivity. I'm not done yet. Shame, sexuality, (laughs) death, incest. Yet, for some reason, we all ate it up. We couldn't get enough of this book. Um, And I need to read a passage. Just uh, This is one of the passages that I read to my mom where she was like, I don't know. I don't think I was a good parent. Um, And I'm not saying that, Mom. When you listen to this, I'm not saying you're a bad parent. I'm saying that that might be what one would say to oneself. But I was parented very well. Um, Okay, so this is a passage after the grandmother in the book hasn't delivered food or water to the attic in two weeks. The poor children are starving. There was one hazy, unreal day when we lay listless, all four of us, with the only life going on confined to the small box over in the corner. Dazed and tired, I turned my head for no reason at all, just to look at Chris and Corey, and I lay without much feeling at all as I watched Chris take his pocket knife and slash his wrist. He put his bleeding arm to Corey's mouth and made him drink his blood, though Corey protested. Then it was Carrie's turn. The two of them, who wouldn't eat anything lumpy, bumpy, grainy, too tough, too stringy, or just plain funny-looking, drank of their older brother's blood and stared up at him with dull, wide, accepting eyes. Uh, <laughs> uh, I wish this was a movie right now so people could see your faces. Yeah. So they'll drink his blood, but they're probably, the good news is, is they're probably too much of picky eaters to eat of his flesh. It's oh, God. Because right? oh, you got to have a line. You got to have a line there, somewhere. There Boundaries. Yeah. Boundaries, people. Oh, my gosh. Um, my grandmother was a real bitch, as we know. And um, the excerpt I'm going to read to you guys um, shows just how awful that she was. He found a small red prick on my arm where the grandmother had plunged in a hypodermic needle to keep me asleep with some drug. And while I slept, she had poured hot tar on my hair. Oh, yeah. Gathered it. (laughs) She must have gathered it all into a neat bunch before she used the tar, for not a strand was left free of the goop. Chris tried to keep me from looking in the mirror, but I shoved him away and had to stare with my mouth agape at the horrible black blob that was my head now, like a huge wad of black bubble gum, chewed and left in an unsightly mess. It even ran down my face and streaked my cheeks with black tears. Good God. <sighs> Sorry to interject while you're reading, but the tar. Yeah. I know. What kind of knockout drug makes you not feel hot tar in your head? <laughs> 
Yeah, and how can it run down and leave leave tear marks down your face without burning through your skin? Yes. Yeah, slept right through that. Where's yeah. the grandma able to get hot tar and just come in and <laughs> That's go to the, the hardware question, store? Right. The Hody? Yes. Stop by the Home Depot and get some tar because I have I have to put it in my granddaughter's hair. Yeah. In case yeah. you were wondering what I was going to do with this. Gertrude, like what a, you doing a with a lady that tar? Gillette? A lady Gillette would have done the same thing. Sure, she could have just set her on fire. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the grand later if we talk about the writing in this, I had to practice reading this a few times because it's written in first person. But she says he found a small red prick on my arm where the grandmother had plunged in a hypodermic oh. needle. So she doesn't oh my say, God. my grandmother. Or just grandmother. Says, As if yeah, there was no editor. With a capital G. Yeah, I, that really bothered me. So, so I That have, bothered you? That's yeah. what was problematic <laughs> to you? Okay. Get that editor on the phone. It was the perspective that I'm just, the POV is just really <laughs> nagging at me. Okay, so we know that this was published as an adult book, as I said before, quickly co-opted by um, by teenagers and preteens, ran through the schools like wild fla- wildfire, not wildflowers, that is different, <laughs> like wildfire. <laughs> it's a total rite of passage. But my question has always been, why? My thought is this, and I don't know, let's see what you guys think about this, but my thought was that um, I think it was so popular just simply because of the outlandishness of it. Like, it's a teenage character facing awful situations, but they're almost, they're too outlandish to be real. So it's okay and almost safe to delve into that fantastical life of horror. It's awful and disturbing, but it's almost, it, it, it's almost like this can't be true. So I can read this and not be scared of it oh. or terrified of it. I can feel safe reading this kind of horror because it's so outlandish. I don't know. This can't be true. This can't be true. So yeah. I have a free pass. And anything shocking, you know, is always appealing to teenagers too. But I just was thinking about that. Like the stuff was so unreal and so outlandish that maybe it was almost like a fairy tale. And I think, I think it was Shane, our Instagram um, friend, Shane, who actually said that. And when we asked this question, he said something like it was like a Gothic horror fairy tale. And I will say that, uh, you know, since I just read this whole piece of uh, literary genius, I just read it. But she she puts in there throughout that uh, I'm just starting to develop breasts and my hips are filling out and I've noticed Chris is getting a chest. So it kind of is all that prepubescent uh, growing up that we were also going through. So it's a little bit gradual. I mean, they're up in that damn attic for like three years. So she went from 12 to 15 um, but there are many passages where she says she's a woman now and she's, you know, so, you know, I think back then teenage girls were considered women much earlier than they should have been and they are now. Mm-hmm. So there are seeds planted along the way about how, you know, he's looking at my hips or he's watching me dance and that sort of thing. So, so I guess it wasn't as out of the blue. I think as far as the why, I think you just nailed it because she was, no matter what the package was or what the context was, what she was describing was the journey that we were all on, not mm-hmm. the rape and incest part, the but the, the, the development part and the burgeoning sexuality part. We were all getting on that train. Yep. And she wanted to be a ballerina and everybody back then wanted to be a ballerina or a figure skater. For sure. That's or exactly an right. equestrian. 
And I know Jillian, mm-hmm. is Jillian Flynn the author of um, Gone Girl? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She wrote the foreword in, I think, the anniversary edition. And she loves this book. And basically, this is book is kind of what made her, um, you know, write the genre that she does. And she said this, she was so fascinated with princesses and evil stepmothers and evil, you know, mothers. And that's what this book represents to her is like almost just this fantastical horror fairy tale. That does sound like it. Mm -hmm. It's a horror fairy tale. That's exactly what it is. And that's how you viewed it, Michelle, because it was this thing that really couldn't happen. I came across um, a piece written by a writer. Her name's Autumn Whitefield Madrano, and she said, and I thought this was an interesting take, that as 11, 12-year-olds, we probably did not know that that was um, necessarily wrong. And we also, um, as she wrote, a 12-year-old who has not yet been kissed uh, might well be simultaneously drawn to and repulsed by the thought of sex. So what would make it a mentally safe spot where you could feel, where she could feel aroused and not repulsed? A known, loving, non-threatening partner that is her oh brother, not her <gasps> brother, but, oh you know, God. somebody that that we could relate to. We were Kathy because it was the first, per, you know, written in first person. And so we could experience this thrill of sex without like, ew, boys, because it was this mm-hmm. um, brother who it's was just loving my brother. And nurturing. <laughs> right. It's fine. Um, it's not. Gross. Don't worry. It's, it's just, just my, my brother. brother. Right. Yeah. But it yeah. was Kathy's brother. But we could kind of be Kathy in that moment as we were um, reading it. And so it. It, she knew um, that VC Andrews kind of knew what buttons to push and everything yeah. to, to get our attention. That leads us basically into talking about something that, you know, I don't feel we can ignore when having a discussion about this book, the the famous rape and incest scene um, that I think is probably, you know, when you ask someone about this book is probably the thing that, that they do remember the most. Um, are you guys ready for this? I'm going to read you the scene and then we're going to talk about it. Let's do this. Can I pour a glass of wine? Yes, seriously. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone. He yelled out something like, you're mine, Kathy, mine. You'll always be mine. No matter who comes into your future, you'll always belong to me. I'll make you mine tonight. Now. I didn't believe it. Not Chris. And I did not fully understand what he had in mind, nor if I am to give him credit, Do I think he really meant what he said? But passion has a way of taking over. We fell to the floor, both of us. I tried to fight him off. We wrestled, writhing, a frantic struggle of his strength against mine. It wasn't much of a battle. I had the strong dancer's legs. He had the biceps, the greater weight and height. And he had much more determination than I to use something hot, swollen and demanding. So much it stole reasoning and sanity from him. And I loved him. I wanted what he wanted. If he wanted it that much, right or wrong. Somehow we ended up on that old mattress, that filthy, smelly, stained mattress that must have known lovers long before this night. And that is where he took me and forced in that swollen, rigid male sex part of him that had to be satisfied. Now we had both done what we both swore we'd never do. I swore I would never do it either. (laughs) Good. Swollen. So much swollen. Hell. Oh, Oh, so much swollen and demanding. And it had, and and it's so, here's the thing about that, you guys. If you really like, if we really read between the lines, which I don't think we want to do, it's actually kind of angry. 
you know, like later, well, like Kristen, you said, like when you read the scene to your mom and it, it, they go out because it says later we went out of the roof and he's all like, the odds are all against a baby, he said fervently. <laughs> Just one time. There won't be a conception. I swear there won't be another time, no matter what. I'll castrate myself, Kathy, before I let that happen again. Don't hate me, please. And then he says, I didn't mean to rape you. And she wraps her arms around him tight as she can. And she says, I don't hate you, Chris. You didn't rape me. I could have stopped you if I really wanted to. I'm sorry, oh, Kathy. Didn't we just find out that um, the struggle wasn't much of a battle? He had, She had strong dancers. Like, sure. But guess what Chris had, guys? He had biceps. He had greater weight and height. And he had much more determination to use something hot, swollen, and demanding. The sex <sighs> part. That's what it's called. It's so called it's, it's really angry. It's not like yeah. this... I mean, okay, this is going to be so gross, and I'm going to use a word that is one of my most hated words in the world, but it's not like tender. It's not like this tender love scene, which is so Wait, gross when you think about- tender is the word you don't like? I hate the word tender. Ugh. In this conversation, I think we can use the- It's okay. <laughs> I thought it was a <laughs> much different word. I'll say, it wasn't I'll a comforting swollen, each other. I'll yeah, say swollen, right. demanding, um, rigid, way more before I'd like to say the word swollen or tender. But like, not that that would be better- because if you remember right before leading up to this, she's been cutting his hair and they cut and then, and then he like jokes like, I'm going to cut your hair. And they do this little cat and mouse game around the attic and he falls on top of her and her breast is exposed and he leans down and kisses her. Yeah. And that's more like, like, this is so gross to say that that's like sweet and tender because we're talking about a brother and sister, <laughs> but I'm just trying to differentiate that this scene this actual scene where the actual act takes place has, is not written like that. Okay, and how right? confusing is that? I hate to I hate to put on my mom hat right now, but we really have to. We've been working so hard to teach young girls what is and is not appropriate, uh, right? Like the lines are are different now, and we're trying to make them understand that you don't have to put up with X, Y, and Z, right. and consent and well, then you read this book how confusing is that and then she's like no i liked it yeah and i don't know even know if it was confusing to us because i feel like that was kind of the message i mean we've talked about the ice castle scenario which was so bizarre that we didn't even blink twice about that um you know the pedophilia that went on and that and um and even the little house on the prairie with almanzo and laura i mean there were some things that A we just rape. accepted um, yeah, that we just, that was just the way it was. And we weren't as educated as we are now and hopefully educating our daughters that this is like, whoa, I was reading some of this to Grace out loud. Uh, and just like with ice <laughs> castles. Yeah, bedtime stories. So Grace is my 16, almost 17 year old. And um, she just right away notices this stuff. Did it? She noticed it in ice castles and this. And I was like, thank God. But we didn't. We no, didn't. We didn't. We're like, this yeah. is, this is life. This is the way it is. And Boys there's almost help a, themselves. They yeah, can't right. help themselves. They have urges. Yes. Yes. Ah. Ah. And you're I just so you. pretty. It's not called consent in the attic. Right. <laughs> but Wendy, that's actually, if you think about it, that's how this scene was written. As yeah. if, like, as yeah. if forgiving Chris and the whole, that whole conversation after where he's like, I'm so sorry. He's apologizing. I couldn't oh, help it. And she's abuser. like, it's Okay. Yeah. I could have stopped right. you if I wanted to, where I'm sorry if you go back two paragraphs, she just clearly says, I couldn't stop him. 
he, I was outmatched. And so, yeah, I think you're right. It was, it was a different time. It was, I mean, also, didn't you, you know, when you brought up, which I had totally forgotten about you guys, we've got to do a whole podcast episode on Blue Lagoon. But I mean, there you go, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's that yeah, was yeah. what we were watching. This is what we were reading. Right. Luke My God, Laura. what ha- Luke what? and Laura. It's no wonder we're <gasps> all in right. therapy. Okay, remind us, Carolyn, of the Luke and Laura story. There was there was some domestic abuse. Is that right? Well, I mean, he raped her. Oh, I mean, yes, um, he like right. kidnapped her and raped her, and then right. they fall in love. And like he married, fall in love with and we him all later. skip school to watch the the wedding. Oh, we all yes. love them. Mm-hmm. Yes. We loved. Them. We loved them. But their origin story is really bad. And she was with Scotty, Ken Schreiner. That's who she should have stayed with. But no. And Luke. But anyway, yeah. So at the disco. At the disco. That's where it happened. That will be one of the the sketches that we do on our cruise. We're going to do a disco Luke and Laura scene. Someone's going to have that Luke wig, like the blonde pubic hair. Like the receding hairline with the pubic hair on top. Uh, Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. We're funny. (laughs) Well, and there's some. Okay, now I'm going to take it down. There, there is. There's How are some elements of, further? Good I luck. know, right? Because <laughs> it's been so lighthearted so far, Kristen. Oh my god, the whole the domestic abuse trope of he did this horrible thing to me, but now he's remorseful and he says he'll never do it again. And right. I, and he's only doing yeah. it because he loves me. That's the only reason he's doing That's it. That's what Luke did. Mm-hmm. You just yeah. drive me well, crazy. I love you so much. You drive me crazy. Well, mm-hmm. let's let's talk about how their parents were related. So maybe it didn't seem, you know, yes. the, the, the half uncle. That's right. Like, how do you have a half uncle? But um, I know I'm trying to do the mathematics. Of my yeah. Head. So maybe that got it to be less taboo. I don't know because they right. they he idealized help it. It's, their in it's in his genes. <laughs> it's genetic. Oh, it's gosh. genetic. Ching. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did also read that. Um, Incest is a recurring theme in Gothic literature, so I think she, oh. you know, it was uh. something that um, V.C. Andrews kind of had a little template for and felt like this was something that she could include to have her book be considered Gothic literature. Well, and I think mm-hmm. My Sweet Audrina is the only book she did without incest in it. So this was her moneymaker. That was her sweet spot. Well, there you go. Hmm. Well, uh, full disclosure, we... Three of us, the actual <laughs> podcast host, did not read this book all the way through. Um, as we were going we to maintain the switch to. on poor Wendy, I know. <laughs> yes, but our wonderful um, guest did choose to read it um, again. And so, Wendy, do you have any big moments of what it was like—the difference between reading it as a an adult versus when you were twelve? Wait, can we for a second talk about why? I mean, I guess it's. It's obvious why we didn't read it, but we all intended to read it. Oh, true. Oh, yeah. I bought I, it. I started. I have flags to. in it. I started taking notes. Yeah. I decided I didn't want to. I started to to buy it, and then I just couldn't. And so then I thought, I'll just get it at the library. And so then I started to request it. And then I decided, no, I don't actually want it in my house. So then I, so then I got it on Audible, Burn it. Burn it and I never, fire. and I never started listening oh, to it. Audible, that would be interesting. But I couldn't even do that, and I realized that I was having like a very averse reaction to having this, uh, this darkness in my environment. This darkness that I will add, I like swallowed the whole thing in seventh grade. Thought it was fantastic. But not Audible would be interesting in- because the reason I didn't get through more than like a fourth of it 
a couple of weeks ago is because when I hit about exclamation point number 2000, I had oh, to gosh. stop. So like, could you imagine on Audible how they're reading? It just has to constantly be, oh, oh. Like there were so many yeah, exclamation points. Part. I don't know if that as an adult or as a writer, the writing was so atrocious that I was like, I can't, I can't read this book. Um, I'm going to just sit with the memories I have of it. Um, you know, keep the magic alive. (laughs) (laughs) So Wendy, that too is another aspect. I mean, you're reading it as a writer as well as an adult. So what was that experience like? Well, I, uh, I will say I'm glad I didn't read it during dry January. I read it in (laughs) February when I could, uh, drink with it, but I, I read it this time around. The first time I read it as a kid, of course, I took it at face value and, you know, really got into the drama. But this time I read it kind of as camp because it's mm-hmm. so over the top crazy. So I think I sort of enjoyed it that way because uh, I even read a passage aloud on Instagram just because it was so ridiculous. Um, so I think I related to it more from the humor aspect that it's just so, so bad that it's entertaining on a different level. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I went through the whole thing. I got it on my Kindle. Uh, I don't think I'm going to go ahead and read the next in the series, but, um, but it, it was, and I was surprised how much I remembered of it. I don't remember much from when I was 12, not for any traumatic reason. I just, I'm just old, but, uh, yeah, I remembered a lot of it and I've probably seen the movie a couple times too, which is really campy. I mean, that's like high camp. So <laughs> And and that's why this is a cult classic at this point. I think the new generations finding it are are appreciating it on that level because they're not reading it as a, a straight take like we did. Oh, that's they're coming at it through a different lens, and they're you know they've already been into Twilight and Hunger Games and all of that, so they're not as easily shocked, and they do see all of the inconsistencies and in the overwriting. And, and so they're seeing it like more tongue in cheek almost. I think so. So that's, that's how I kind of approached it this time. Well, I hope so. There is something too to be said for, and I would always talk parents off. I almost said off the roof. Talk parents <laughs> off the ledge when they would come into the library and be upset about something that their children were reading. And what we have to remember is that when you're a child reading something, words protect you to a certain degree because you can only create images in your mind from things you have experience with. Unlike a movie where they hand you the images. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like reading about pornography and then watching pornography are two different things. It's like it's the reason that I read, you know, Judy Bloom's Deanie. Judy Bloom never said anything about where Deanie's special spot was when she was masturbating. But so I just assumed it was her armpit because she never (laughs) said because my experience didn't give me that. And nor did Judy Bloom. Judy Bloom didn't hand it to me either. And so as adults, we read this. And we're, I think we're doubly horrified because we have so much more information now. We can yeah. picture the images. Yeah. We know the consequences and the implications of an incestuous relationship. We have all these things that we've talked about, domestic abuse and rape. We know all that. As a 12-year-old, you don't know it. And so you only bring to it what you know. So it's not nearly right. as horrifying. It's not. And now you're like, oh, my God, there's gaslighting in this. And Michelle, like, listed all of the the things we could diagnose it, all of the trauma levels and everything. But, yeah, back then we didn't know any better. And the writing, though, I, I think about that. How did we read, like, all that crap? I mean, it was so, so just say penis and not swollen, whatever, whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's like swollen. Sex I don't know. <laughs> well, I yeah, think, I think, Wendy, you saying that 
it's more, you read it more as like for camp is mm-hmm. exactly how, and it's how we're talking about it too. You know, we're, we're all, um, we're poking fun at it, which we can do now. So what we've all done is we all have come with a passage that, um, is pretty outlandish and horribly written. And so we're going to all share a favorite, uh, passage and by favorite, I mean, really awful, um, <laughs> and do a little reader's theater. All right, ladies. So I mean, this will be kind of fun yeah. because this, this book, you guys is just chock full of them. It was very hard for us all to pick one. So we all have them. Um, and Wendy, do you want to read yours first? Sure. So I had, a, I had highlighted a whole bunch too. I had a hard time going. And none I'm of us know, by the way, them. what everybody else is reading. So this is a little presentation for all of us. This will be good. So this one is uh, near the end of the book. And Chris has left the attic and he's sneaking around trying to steal money or something for their great escape. And so he's hiding under a desk and the butler came in. And this is him telling Kathy what happened after that. Uh But there I was, caught. If I moved, they'd see me. And that John, he's related to our grandmother. Third cousin, so Mama said. Not that I think a third cousin matters one way or another, but apparently John has our grandmother's confidence, or else she wouldn't allow him so much freedom to use her cars. You've seen him, Kathy, the bald-headed man who wears livery. Sure, I knew who he meant, but I could only lie there, feeling my own sort of numb shock that made me speechless. So, Chris went on in that deadly monotone that didn't show that he was concerned, frightened, surprised. While I hid behind the sofa and put my head down on my arms and closed my eyes and tried to make my heart stop beating so damn loud, John and the maid began to get really serious with each other. I heard their little movements as he began to take off her clothes and she began to work on his clothes. (laughs) They undressed each other? I asked. She actually helped him off with his clothes? Sounded that way to me, he said flatly. She didn't scream or protest? Heck no, she was all for it. (laughs) And by golly, it took them so everlastingly long. Oh, the noises they made, Kathy. You wouldn't believe it. She moaned and screamed and gasped and panted, and he grunted like a stuck pig. Oh my God. But I guess he must have been pretty good at it, for she shrieked at the end like someone gone crazy. Then, when it was all over, they had to lie and smoke cigarettes and gossip about what goes on in this house. And believe me, there's little they don't know. And then they made love a second time. Twice in the same night? It's oh possible god. to do. Oh my god. I have so much to say. I have so I much like, to say. I like how wait wait, wait, go back. Did you say Kathy says and she didn't like protest or scream? I'm like, Well I, Kathy, yeah. what did you do? Yes, yeah, exactly, right. Kathy. Kathy, that's shocking to you? <laughs> so first of all, I'm really glad that the grandmother trusted him with her cars. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. important information. Well, that nice. If somebody is trusted with cars, then I know it's okay to have sex with them. <laughs> a third cousin, because she's yeah. so weird about all of the relations, mm-hmm. yes, mm-hmm. kinship and everything. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Also, and then he shrieked, and or she shrieked like she was like in pain or something, so she must have loved it. She must have. <laughs> well, of course, because when you hear someone shriek like they're yeah. being killed, of course you just yeah. assume that all, oh, but they're like having a, a good time. Pig. Like a stuck pig. Yeah. Oh, no, he like screamed a like pig. a stuck pig. No, but she screamed. She shrieked like something. Oh. She shrieked and, like something, yeah. Okay. Yeah, she, so Chris is basically like watching a live sex show from underneath the couch. <laughs> Okay, He's and like so 16. this is very childlike if you think about it, because there there's nothing logical that happens in this what? scene, including that the hired help is screaming in <laughs> ecstasy in their work, yeah. in their work environment, right? Like smoking cigarettes. Smoking cigarettes. <laughs> We're just gonna lay.
up on the ground to smoke cigarettes, and then I'm going to drive the ladies' cars. You no, probably, and then they're going to do it again, and then oh, you got to do it again, do it again, right here in the living room. So this is like something that a kid would make up. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. So There's funny. no reason for that scene. It's just it's just like weird. Yes. Weird, weird, weird. And I guess oh, we never God. saw it as weird. All right, Carolyn. What okay, do you have? What do you have? It's your turn. Okay, well, mine comes in the chapter at last, Mama. And um <laughs> oh, Kathy no. is uh kind of sizing up Chris a little bit and sees him doing a few things. So here we go. As for Chris. His shoulders broadened, his chest became more manly, and his arms, too. I caught him once in the attic, staring down at that part of him he seemed so taken with, and measuring it, too. (laughs) Why, I asked, quite astonished, to learn that the length mattered. He turned away before he told me. Once he'd seen Daddy naked, and what he had seemed so inadequate in size. Even the back of his neck was red as he explained this. Oh, golly, just like I wondered what size bra Mama wore. Don't do it again, I whispered. Corey had such a small male organ. And what if he had seen and felt as Chris did that his was inadequate? Corey's like three. (laughs) Don't tell the little boy because the little boy has a little boy penis and he will certainly get upset. Okay, this brings up something, though, because it was in both Wendy's passage and yours. Another yes. reason I had to stop reading, because even at the first fourth of that book, the word golly is used a hundred times. Oh, oh, my God. The G word. <laughs> golly. They're, like, they're so innocent. Like, they're these 19, kids from the 1950s, like the beep, like the cleavers. Like, golly. But yet, they're, like, you know, ravaging each other and Gee, um, watching this. Yes. <laughs> Good golly. Stop raping me. <laughs> Golly, I protested as he kissed my nipple. Cheese and crackers. Gosh. Oh, my God. Okay. Okay. All right, everyone. Let's all take a drink. Yeah, of our water. Okay, so you'll love to hear how how mine begins then. Oh, no. Probably Probably something swollen. Is something swollen? Oh, no. Golly, no. Good gosh, he said. Good gosh. You can't say good God? I mean, good, good. I no. just can't get over that. I just can't that get over That would take it. the book to a totally diff- a bad level. Well, you then it would word. definitely be an adult yeah. book. Right? right. If they said good God instead of good we gosh. We don't want that kind of smut. They really wanted it to be young adults, so they had to say gosh. <laughs> good gosh, he said, squirming and turning his head and refusing to look me straight in the eyes. What difference does a few kisses make? A few kisses, I stormed. You saw him kiss Mama more than once? What kind of kisses? Hand kisses or real mouth-to-mouth kisses? A blush heated up his chest, on which my cheek was resting. It burned right through his pajamas. They were passionate kisses, weren't they, I threw out, convinced even without his say-so. He kissed her, and she let him, and maybe he even touched her breasts and stroked her buttocks. Like I once saw Daddy do when he didn't know I was in the room and watching. Is that what you saw, Christopher? Like I once saw Daddy do when I was in the room watching. (laughs) And what child says the word buttocks? Buttocks. Buttocks. 
Oh my God. Again, that's where, that's what's tripping you up. Yeah. Right. The buttocks. <laughs> not that she's rest, not that the whole time they're talking about this, she's resting her head on his chest, which is growing. Upon which, <sighs> on which my cheek was resting. I mean, you Upon really have to which? practice reading these because the writing is so terrible. And I had to put in my own punctuation. Oh, me too. Because the punctuation, it's not just that the punctuation is non-existent. It's that it's, it's used incorrectly and there'll be a comma <laughs> uh-huh. in an odd place or no comma where the, it, you, it's just very, very confusing. It's so when in doubt, confusing. use an exclamation point. Correct. Yes. Okay. So mine mm-hmm. is, um, Kathy. So now it's been a couple years and their, their bodies are changing. So Kathy is standing in front of the mirror naked and she's admiring the changes in her own body. A rippling sensation on the back of my neck gave me the awareness that someone was near and watching. I whirled about suddenly to catch Chris standing in the deep shadows of the closet. How long had he been there? He stood there, frozen. A queer look glazed his blue eyes, as if he'd never seen me before without clothes on. And he had, many a time. His eyes lowered from my flushed face down to my breasts, then lower and down to my feet before they traveled upward ever so slowly. Chris, please go away. He didn't seem to hear. He only stared. I know I shouldn't be, but you look so beautiful. It's like I never saw you before. How did you grow so lovely when I was here all the time? Creepy. (laughs) Creepy. My favorite of that is... It's like he'd never seen me before without my clothes on, but he had many times. <laughs> like, Chris, what? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So I imagined the room they were in, like a Marriott room with two beds. <laughs> That's what it is in my mind when I think about it. Um, and I think that there's so many aspects of this book that we haven't even touched on that this, this definitely will lend to future episodes. For instance... We could do a whole character study on the grandmother. There's the whole aspect of religion in this book and shaming. And those are way more serious topics than incest. But I'm just thinking ahead and thinking there's a lot of different directions um, that we could go <laughs> in exploring this book. Um, but I think that's going to be enough for today. What do you guys think? Yeah, I'm tired now. <laughs> I think we'll bring this traumatizing discussion to a close um, and go have a glass of wine. Um, not red though, because now I'm afraid it's. I'm gonna think blood. Oh God! Yeah. Oh, just pour a little wine on your wrist. Yeah, good idea. Oh, Let's just lap it up. God. Oh. Uh, so I found. Um, I found this uh, perfect summary on PersephoneMagazine.com that I think we're gonna close with. I think it sums it up pretty well. It says, "The message of V.C. Andrews is frequently dog-eared, salacious classic. Flowers in the attic is clear. Never lock your conceived in incest teenage children." in an attic (laughs) the end sums it up (laughs) yes great message well thank you so much wendy for joining us this has been um as people know i'm a fangirl so this has been a huge uh fun time for me because Wendy makes me laugh on her Twitter account, on her Instagram. If you don't already follow her, we will be sure and include links to her social media mm-hmm. accounts um, on, in our show notes because uh, it is a blast to follow Wendy. So thank you so much uh, for yeah, joining thanks. us today and hope you had as much fun as we did. Thank you. Yes, and thank, thank you, you for um, 
I'm happy that I'm your go-to person when you want to talk about incest in the attic. Um, <laughs> so that's something that will go in my Twitter bio for sure. <laughs> You're on speed dial under incest. Expert. <laughs> yeah, incest. Swollen. Swole. <laughs> you know, okay, so another thing, uh, everybody listening, please, if you don't already know about McSweeney's, go on McSweeney's and just search. I don't know if there's a search box in it or just Google Wendy Aaron's McSweeney's because seriously, you write stuff that just makes me laugh till I cry, especially on McSweeney's. Um, oh, have you, you thought about a flowers in the attic piece? I just did what, like Be- half a second ago. Yeah. I was about to say you are now versed. You read the whole thing yeah. and I can't wait to read it because it'll be fabulous. So, so if you write that, make sure you um, send it to us and we will um, share too. I'm already thinking it could be uh, flowers in the attic or quarantine. <laughs> it's a quarantine piece yeah i love it yeah. thank you so much wendy for joining for us having me. for listening and please join us next week for a very special episode where we will be saving after school specials and if you enjoy this podcast we would be so grateful if you'd subscribe and leave us a nice review and most importantly we would love for you to tell your friends make sure to follow us follow along on social media. Our Instagram page is especially fun, and we have some great engagement and conversations on there. In the meantime, let's raise our glasses, everyone, for a toast, courtesy of Jack, Janet, and Chrissy, to good times, to happy days, to Little House on the Prairie. Cheers! Cheers! Information, opinions, and comments expressed on the Pop Culture Preservation Society podcast belong solely to me, the Crushologist, and Carolyn and Hello Newman, and are in no way representative of our employers or affiliates. And though we truly believe we are always right, I guess there's always a first time. The PCPS is written, produced, and recorded at Modern Well, a woman-centered co-working space in Minneapolis, Minnesota, home of the fictional WJM Studios and our beloved Mary Richards. Nanu Nanu, keep on trucking, and may the force be with you. We get a happy feeling when we're singing a song